Welcome to the Emerge Leadership Connection, the podcast that gives you the keys to unlock your heroic potential, develop into a legendary leader, and emerge into who you were meant to be. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Jeff Jones and discuss the challenges and traumas that can be put upon people with addictions caused by their family the challenges with the confrontational approach to facing someone fighting addiction, what does addiction really mean, and a new model to combat addiction. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of The Leadership Guide and finalist for the Extraordinary Award for coaches with ideas that can change people, businesses, and the world for the better for my ideas on leadership. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, on to the show. All right. How you doing today, Jeff? Oh my gosh. Well, I um, I'm a little bit scrambled because I just got in from a wonderful walk. But all in all, I am doing really well. I feel incredibly blessed in my life to be able to walk out my door and you know just in a lot of beauty. So yeah, definitely. You you're in Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I live in this co-housing community. We have about 40 acres and I can just go outside and walk along the ditch and we have open space on three sides. That is absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> I was I was born and raised in Colorado, so I I the beauty that is in Colorado is absolutely phenomenal it's one of the things i miss being away from colorado yeah 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 i'm sure and and 40 acres that is gigantic i know yeah we have 42 houses so um on about 40 acres we have a farm and a community building and a wood shop and etc etc yeah so i am very blessed in my life to have the environment, the container that I do. That's awesome. And then just before we started recording, you told me that someone in your family had some pretty awesome news. Yeah. So my sister's youngest daughter just had a baby today. It's like, so yeah, I am, um, I got this text from my sister with a photograph of her and it's just cute cute, cute, this very inquisitive eyes, you know, and so, yeah, I'm jazzed. That's awesome. Babies are, they're, they're such a blessing. They're so, I, I, I personally find them to be a blessing and so adorable and just, just, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So, so we met at the new media summit and um, you are working on what I think is some really amazing stuff. And that's why we're having this conversation right now. So I'll, I'll leave it to you. Tell me and, and everyone listening what it is you're working on. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a, that's a very broad, open-ended question there. <laughs> um, but the, the person who knows it best is you. And so yeah. I don't want to take that away from you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. So um, I, I have been a therapist. I, I got my master's degree like back in 2006, and I really wanted to focus on something that um, I saw there was a need that I, that, was, that I was passionate about, that, that really meant something to me. And I as a therapist, like there's, there, you can be a generalist and there's a lot of things out there where there's a need, but I looked at my own family and, you know, families with an addiction. So I have a story like that, that I've always been curious about. And 
So I learned more about um, families. I learned more about addiction and I learned more about trauma. So those three are kind of like a core triad for me. And I, after seeing individuals in my private practice who were in some role in the family with addiction, I, I learned um, some invitational intervention models. So there's a couple different, some are invitational, some are m more surprise kind of thing. And the invitational ones were more, I was more in alignment with. Some of the surprise ones, there's, I, I, I know they've saved people's lives, but on the other side of it is there's, you know, quite a bit of trauma that can happen. Yeah. Um, and so, so just to make sure we're clear and everyone listening is clear, we're, we're talking about interventions for people with strong addictions going on. So sometimes it's, it's an invitation to come into those meetings and sometimes it's a surprise. That's like correct. the ones you see on TV where right. everyone's already sitting in a circle and they walk into the room thinking it's going to be something else. And then all of a sudden, everyone's telling them about what the, the problems that are happening that are based around that addiction. That's kind of more the surprise model, right? Yeah. And, and there's, you know, letters are written and um, the old style is, you know, the interventionist would encourage people to write letters that um, essentially use the relationship as leverage to get that person to go into treatment. And it was a one-shot deal, so if it didn't work, the encouragement was to um, stay true to everything you put in, in that letter, that wedge, essentially some message like, you know, if you don't go to treatment, you're never welcome in my house again. You will never see your nieces again because you, like I do not want my children seeing you period so here's the deal that or go to treatment I mean that kind of letter yeah so. it's it's kind of a do it or else and that's that's it's especially with someone who's facing an addiction I, I, and and you can you obviously have a lot more experience in this area than me but I feel like that is is a very harsh place to put someone because because it the way addictions work, it's, it's very, it's very under the, the, the rug kind of thing. It, it happens under, uh, it, it's, it's almost like a back process in your brain when you're, when you're facing an addiction and to put it on such a black or white situation seems very harsh and, and would to me seem very difficult for the person that has to face that. Because yeah. from, from the people I've known with addictions and, you know, addictions in my own life, sometimes it's hard to say, like, this is going to end simply because it so vehemently is in the back of your mind, even if you don't want it to be there. Like, sometimes it is a presence you're literally trying to push away and it keeps right. coming back unexpectedly. So it seems yeah, harsh to do it that way. Yeah. Well, it, the old style is confrontation, you know, yeah. and um, that's the old method. And there's a lot of people that still like that's what they got clean and sober with. And so that's what they um, believe is going to be most helpful for someone else. And and, you know, for some people that works, you know, at some stage and sometimes that doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, I mean, I've heard of people committing suicide when it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I could imagine just like if it's, if it's a complete cutoff, right? Human beings in general, we're very social creatures. Right. And when, when you have relationships with your family that are very close and important to you, and all of a sudden those are completely cut off, Right. Especially if it's something you feel like you don't really have power over. I could imagine just the deep depression you're going to go into. And when you go into those stages of deep depression, it, it's hard to think of, of what could be good someday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, the brain's impaired and it's like the thinking is distorted. And so the person with the addiction, the like what I 
try to do myself and and what I try to share with people is like family members need to change their expectations. Like you have more ability to change your expectations than your loved one does because addiction is addiction and it's like that process is looking for food, fuel, and it loves chaos. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. And like any anyone with a coffee addiction, right, or, <laughs> or just caffeine addiction in general can tell you how, how badly you need your caffeine when it hits that specific point of the day where you get your caffeine. Yeah. And the kind of person you turn into when you don't have it. <laughs> and obviously, you're, you're dealing with a, a lot harsher addictions than that. But like that, imagine putting that kind of an addiction with something that does a lot more damage. And I mean, it's, it's terrifying situation to be around. Yeah. So there's a number of like, you know, complicated pieces here. One is when we use the word addiction, what does that really mean? You know, and, and so like the, Majority of national organizations out there have a definition. You can Google them. There's, you know, four or five different organizations. The majority of them in there, the language is, you know, this is a chronic relapsing brain disease kind of thing. So the focus is on an individual or one individual's brain and like fix the brain and then the problem should go away kind of thing. And there's more to it than that. And we all know that. And so I have started using language um, addiction disruption. Okay. And to me, what that means is it acknowledges, yes, there's an individual at the epicenter of the disruption, but there's also impact all around you know, and let's acknowledge that impact too, because if we just, you know, fix the individual at the center and, you know, the hope is that everything else will be fine and good to go. So the three main stakeholders of addiction are individuals, families, and communities. And, and that's kind of the trajectory of impact. Obviously, the individual has the most impact, then the family, then the community. And our healing methods are, are very similar. Start with the individual. And ideally, when they get clean and sober, when they get fixed, when they get in recovery, whatever the right language is there, um, then the family will be better, will be healed, the community will be healed. And, it, and it's like, that's a nice thought. That's idealistic. Um, and so what I've done is, is flip the trajectory around to complement the individual focus, but also include like um, community on the front end, a, a c online community for families that when families come in there, they learn new skills, they learn to look through a new lens, they learn to see their situation differently, and they can start to implement some, some of the skills into their own family. So the community has an impact on the structure of the family. And when that starts to happen, then the individual will feel that. So it's kind of a both and approach, you know? Definitely. I, I, Personally, I love that idea because like, like we were saying earlier, people are, are very much attached to communities. Like we're very social creatures. And so being parts of communities is, is just a part of what we seek and having a community there that, right. that not only wants to actually help you, right, which is important on its own, but becomes equipped with the right tools to help you right. right in in something that sometimes feels like it's completely out of your control right because there there are people who face addictions who feel like i have no control over this right. and yeah getting that outside help from the people that matter most to them i see that being extremely powerful yeah yeah well so so that's what I'm, I'm trying to do is, is to focus on, you know, the people around the epicenter, 
um, and to collaborate with people who are focused on, you know, their services are mainly for the individual. So there's change with the individual and there's change with the structure of the family. And that's optimal. And that's like the research. And we know that. And, um, you know, the history of family therapy um, kind of states that, that when recovery is a family process, the healing is um, going to spread further, last longer, have a bigger impact kind of thing. Um, so that's, and it's also pretty obvious and straightforward. Some of the biggest obstacles here that I see are, um, you know, in our history, when I say our, I mean the history of our culture and the history of addiction, there's a lot of, you know, mixed messages. There's a lot of black and white thinking. There's a lot of harshness. There's a lot of labeling of people. Um, and, and so there's a lot of stigma. And, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that families were actually blamed as part of the problem or the problem. So, you know, families aren't making this up that, like, I always kind of frame it from a standpoint of, you know, one of the biggest problems that I see is that families don't reach out early enough and they try to do things them themselves and they don't reach out until it's like um, really dangerous or threatening or, or they're just a, so close to just cutting them. Like, we'll do this last thing and then we'll cut them off kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I have really tried to create a space, this online space that um, where people can come in there confidentially to where they can work through some of the stigma and shame stuff. So this is not a Facebook group. This like they get a username and password and they can sign up with an alias and that like I have two community chats a week on top of all kinds of other things. But when they come into a community chat, their name comes up and they can use a name like Minnie Mouse or something like, like that. And actually they can communicate with one another and there's all kinds of incremental steps to build trust with people. So one is, you know, like I said, they can use an alias like Minnie Mouse. Another is they can just listen to like, so the Wednesday night or yeah, the Wednesday night chat is recorded. So they can just, listen to the recording would be the first level. The next is they, they can come into the chat. The next they can come in and type in a question. The next they, they can turn on their microphone and ask a question. The next is they can turn on their webcam and be seen and have a conversation. So there's a lot of like self-driven, self-selecting, incremental processes for people to take themselves, you know? Yeah. So it's, they're learning trust building, they're learning boundaries, they're learning communication skills, and sometimes conflict resolution skills just by being a member of the community. And all of, of those skills are things that they, they can implement into their own family. Definitely. And, and what I love about it, right, is and and this is a big concept leadership right you are at one level right and whoever's joining the groups at a different level and instead of trying to get them to come up to your level you give them the platform to be able to be comfortable you come to their level wherever they're comfortable at so that they have the ability to get up to where you are which is what is what you want at the end anyways Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the community membership is like, it's 50 bucks a month. So, and, you know, people pay for three months at, at a time. So, 
it's pretty reasonably priced and it's so for you know fifty dollars that would be um what like eight hours of potentially chat time where they could ask questions where they could learn some things like yeah. my, my time yeah no and, and that's i mean that's gigantic that i mean I, the way i see it is if if you're going to see like someone who's a guru quote unquote and try and get their time in this area so that you can have a better impact in your home that that's going to be thousand dollars right and so to be able to get those resources, get those tools at $50 a month, which have the potential to completely change the, the entire circumstances of what's going on in your home life, right? that's, that's pennies on, the, on what the value of what you're getting. Yeah. And, and so once they have a username and password and once they go into the community, like the community has 30 some videos in there, 30 some MP3s and a bunch of, you know, PDFs and, and um, a blog section with link to family specific information. But once they go in there and look at things, you know, they can share the username and password with other people in their family and say, Hey, go, like um, log in with this username and password and, and do this and this and see this video. And then once you see that video, I want to talk with you about that Thanksgiving dinner that we had with our family. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, this video, like, like put a whole new spin on what was happening there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like planting seeds to get more and more of the family members to start to look through a new lens. And when that happens, more people start thinking differently. They, they are starting to consider, you know, potentially something new. And, you know, because addiction in the family, it's, it's everybody is, has an impact. And part of that in, impact is like a stress, if not trauma. And so the body contracts and when the body contracts, so does the, the thinking gets very rigid and very black and white. And so I'm, I'm talking about family members doing that, you know? Yeah. So it's change is a process. It isn't like I'm going to go to a weekend workshop and make tons of ch a change. And like I, I go to a lot of weekend workshops and like there's a lot of good family programs out there, treatment centers. There are some treatment centers who have some really good family programs. I, I really want to say that because I know that's true. But even if that family program is, is like, you know, four days or a week or something like, like that, then they need to take that information home and start to practice it. And I know for myself when, when I go to a workshop and I come home and I have all kinds of, you know, inspiration and excitement to make change. And then a month later, it's like, what have I re really been able to implement? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a huge challenge, not, not only in the world of addiction, but in the world of just personal development, any sort that's of development. Really, is People expect that change is going to happen overnight, right? The, like if, if you're in the development world, you expect, I go to a weekend workshop, I'm going to be a master communicator by the end of it, right? I, I expect that I'm going to be able to code like the, the best people at Google can in, in, in a weekend workshop. I expect that I'm going to be able to solve this addiction problem within my family. And it doesn't work like that because change takes time. Our, our minds set up these, these connections. They're hard to break. Um, yeah. If, yeah, yeah. if you look at um, one of my favorite books is The One Thing which tackles how do you create new habits, right? And according to the research they did, it takes an average of 66 days, I believe is what they say, to, to form a new habit. And, you know, some take a little longer, some take a little less. And an addiction is something that's really hard to break. So we're, we're talking like, if you're lucky, 90 days of continuous yeah. effort towards changing it, 
And that's assuming right. you're doing it every single day. If you're right. not doing it every single day, I mean, this, this could be a six month process plus yeah. easily. Well, one of the, you know, one of the biggest um, kind of faulty thinking or thinking errors that I see families making is they just um, assume like, well, I can send Johnny to this treatment center for 60 days or 90 days. And then when he comes back, we can go back to normal, you know? And yeah. the reality is that is not the case. They can't go back to normal, you know? They need to create a new normal. So yeah. that's largely what I'm trying to do in, in a very um, gentle and also um, structural kind of way is to give families a pathway and some clarity and a container for them to see a lot of different things, learn a lot of different things and understand what's the pathway that they want to follow, you know? So, of, so in the community, like that's the purpose of the community as I see it for them to come in, learn a lot of things the collective nervous system of the family drop down. When that happens, they have more blood flow to their cortex, the, the part of the brain where they can make the best decisions, where they can look around, understand the context, and have a, a better understanding. If I do this, then the implication, the way it unfolds will be like this. And if I do, et cetera, et, et cetera. But what ends up happening is families make decisions when they're the majority of blood flow is going to the limbic or the emotional brain and they're, you know, re really anxious. And it's a, a situation where their loved one is about, you know, close to death or something. And it's like, well, you, you know, if you sign this check for this $20,000, we can take that problem off your hands. Or I'm, I mean, I'm being a little facetious, yeah. but that kind of, <laughs> process happens sometimes in the addiction recovery space. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, I mean, if you look at it from a marketing perspective, it's a genius marketing tactic, but it, it doesn't actually help the people who are the most in need, you yeah. know? And yeah. it, 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 I mean, people are willing to pay lots of money to help with what, they're you know most challenged with but if it doesn't actually help them that that's where the real problem comes in and and you were you were talking earlier about how people expect to send someone off somewhere for 60 to 90 days and then they come back and everything's suddenly magical and and that it it relates to two different concepts in my mind one is the concept of you never go through the same river twice, right? Because every time you go through the river, one, the river has changed, and two, you're a different person. Right. And so you, you send the person there and they come back, but they're a completely new person. They, they, like you said, they haven't developed a new them. And right. so they're still working on the process of that. And then two, the environment is such a powerful thing, right? So you can send someone into that, power that very powerful environment that is literally designed so they cannot be around that addiction and they can become cured of that addiction as long as it's not there anywhere near them and then they come back to the old environment and all of a sudden that addiction is right there again and it, right. it it's it's downfall right there yep yep and then and families need to realize that which is where the power of this community comes in is yeah. you can have these resources that show you, hey, they just came out of this environment where they have literally no access to it. You have to figure out with them, how do you make sure that that, um, that enticement doesn't come back into their life? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So I, um, yeah, when I spoke with you before, I, I think I mentioned this, um, what I've tried to do is to create a visual diagram that 
explains for families the invisible pattern that naturally happens through no fault of any family member. Um, you know, people go into survival roles. And so, you know, the what I call the spotlight diagram, is it okay if I just talk about it for a few minutes? Yeah, and, definitely. And, please, okay. please talk about it. Because if it's going to help people, yeah. that, that is what we need to do. Sure. Um, like, my, my personal view of the world is we each are leaders in our own hemispheres, right? And we have a responsibility to help people with what we have the power to influence with. And this is your area of influence. And there are people right now who need to hear this message. There are yeah. people who themselves are facing addictions and have families that aren't as powerful as they could be. There are people who know family members who are going through addictions that need right. to hear this. There are people who may be a boss, you know, you may be a corporate boss and you have someone in your corporation, right? On your team who's right. going through an addiction. Right. And you can help them through this. So people need to know this information. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks. So yeah. what I've done is, and it's, I've, I've learned, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of, you know, my mentors in the addiction world. So I just want to say that. And what I'm going to describe is kind of a combination of three of them. I love and, a person who is humble about who they are and where they come from. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I, when I talk to families, what I ask them to do is to get a piece of paper and a pen and in, in the middle of the paper to draw a circle, you know, maybe the size of their fist. And then from that circle, at, draw lines at like 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. And at the end of those lines, put smaller circles, like the size of a dime or something. And then over at about 7 o'clock, put a circle about the size of a quarter snuggled up to that big circle in the middle. And then over at about 10 o'clock, you know, maybe two inches out, put a circle that's about, you know, the size of dime or quarter or nickel, it doesn't matter but just out there with no line. Yeah, so, so, so you've got one central circle. You've got a couple circles that are a little bit out and connected. There's one that's right next to it, very right. connected. Yep. And then you have another circle that's way out that's not connected at all. Bingo, bingo. Awesome. So, so what's going on with that, that whole process there? Yeah, so the um, circle in the center is what I call the spotlight diagram. And, and that's the focus. Like, the, the, the family will focus on whatever the biggest problem is. And I'm, I mean, so, sometimes it can be a positive focus, like, you know, someone in the family, they get all A's, they're really brilliant, whatever, they, they take a lot of the attention. But, you know, people don't call me when it's a positive focus. <laughs> so, I'm, <laughs> yeah. but, but I wanted to acknowledge that that's there too. Yeah. Um, so, so this diagram isn't designed just for addictions, but you use it within the context of addiction to, to show the point. Right. So underlying here is some theory from, you know, a family therapist called Murray Bowen and some of his... Um, long-held research, essentially, about anxiety in the family. And so when there's anxiety, when there's tension in the family, and in this context, I'm using addiction, um, there will be different roles that come out. And the roles are roles. They're not people. People can go into a role. They can stay very fixated in that role, or they can move from one role to the next role to the next role kind of thing. The roles are strategies. So they're trying to either deal with the problem outside of them, you know, cope with it or fix it, um, or they're dealing with the impact, the way it feels inside of them, or they're trying to stay connected as a family where they're just trying to compensate for this thing we call addiction. So 
these these roles um, are natural things that happen. So the reason why I'm framing it that way is I really want people who are listening to this to know that people who go into these roles are are like this isn't pathological or a bad thing per se. It's a bad thing when someone does the same thing over and over again and they, they don't really see the larger pattern. So like talking about these yeah. roles over there at one o'clock, the line, the circle at the end of it, the person in that role, oftentimes they're doing similar behaviors. And so if the person in the middle, the big circle in the middle, if they're drinking alcohol, it's excessive, a lot of problematic consequences, the person at one o'clock, they may be drinking alcohol with them, but when they drink alcohol, they don't have the same kind of problematic consequences. And, and then yeah. we, if, if we drop down to three o'clock, the person in that role, they, they, the line is for communication. They, they want to stay connected, but there's like hash marks through that line. And what that means is they don't want to talk about the problem. They don't want to talk about the outcome. Mm, they, so they see it, but they don't want to actually confront it. They'd rather avoid the conflict and face the conflict. Yep, exactly. And then drop yeah, and, down. Well, and, and that right there is, is a huge fault in, in leadership in general, right? There's, there's a lot of people who have leadership roles in the world who don't want to confront any problems they want things to be hunky-dory and just right. pretend like the problems don't exist but as a leader you can't approach the world like that right right be because then those problems either just remain and continue to cause tension or more often than not they just continue to get worse until it you know until everything completely breaks down and so that that is in my opinion a huge uh, leadership fault that we have mm -hmm. and yeah. within the context of uh, addiction that that may not be leader like a boss per se but like that could be the leader of of a parent or a very close sibling right, right. because we we have leadership positions within our families and absolutely that right there is is a leadership failure within your family if you recognize that there's a problem and you don't want to confront it it's a it's a leadership failure yeah well, so this like spotlight diagram thing that I'm explaining, I grew up in a family just like this. And my yeah. mom was Most of us in, did. Yeah. And so like this avoiding role here, I know this 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 one, and I'm not talking about just academically or intellectually or something like, yeah. like that. I you like, lived that one. Um oh, oh my 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 gosh. Yeah. Um and so like the avoiding thing, I'm an expert <laughs> with <laughs> avoiding, like that's my history, quite frankly. Um, but then, you know, dropping down to like five o'clock, that line that's coming out there, um, if we were to draw an arrow at the end of the line, an arrow towards the big circle, the person in that role is 180 degrees from that role at three o'clock that is avoiding. And so they want to talk about the problem. And the way they do it is very sharp, is very direct, is very confrontational, potentially shame, yeah. blaming, the volume of voices go up, heart rates go up. You know, it goes back and forth. It ends in argument. Yeah. Know? And and that that's that's a huge one especially because there there are people who are just strong-headed um there's there's a book i'm reading it's called verbal judo and there are people who are just who just approach the world like that right they're they're hard cases and that can create more problems for them than than you know solutions right. um the the right. author of the book he's he's talking about how he was a cop right and one of his his first nights on the job alone right he he would he approached the vehicle and was telling people you know you need to do this and the people were like no right <laughs> what are you going to do and so he ended up arresting them thinking he was going to be you know heralded as as a great cop and his boss told him the next day no you're doing this wrong 
right? Uh, yeah. Oh, and, wow. And he, yeah. What a, what a great learning says, opportunity. Well, exactly, right? Because because so many times you think just, if I just attack it, everything's good now. Yeah. But it, sometimes it creates more problems than it solves. Right. And within within the context of addiction, it could be even worse, right? That kind of attack leads to just complete back and forth banters and then could lead to the person with the addiction diving further into the addiction. Well, that's, I, that's, that happens a lot. Yeah. That really, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's not just theory. That happens a lot. Yeah, so, exactly. So, you know, these, these, these roles that I'm describing, like once I go through it and talk about the overall pattern, it's like no two that there's a way out of every one of these roles, you know? And so there's some basic things I can say that are a way out, but the more powerful thing is that once people see these roles and they understand how they relate, um, the roles relate to one another and how they relate to the roles, then they can start to see their own behavior through a whole new lens and they can start to make new choices themselves and yeah. they have more capacity to make new choices than the person whose brain is impaired, who has the addiction or who's at the epicenter of addiction disruption kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. The famous quote out there, be the change you want to see, right? If you want someone else to change, be the first one to change. Right. Right. Yep. And I love that, that quote. And I try to practice that myself. And, you know, sometimes I do better than other times. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put well, it that way. You know? <laughs> we're still human, right? <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as perfection, unfortunately. As, as wonderful as it would be to be perfect and be like, I'm going to change and it's done now. Like, I'm perfect. Right. As nice as that would be, it just, it doesn't happen like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, the next role that I can talk about here in this spotlight diagram is the role that was over at about seven o'clock from mm -hmm. that big, from that big circle in the, in the middle and, and um, it just kind of snuggled up to the big circle. And right next to it. Nice and cozy. Nice and cozy. And, <laughs> and the person in that role, like they have a majority focus on that person in the center in the spotlight and they're doing everything they can to fix the problem help the person um and so that is their strategy to fix the problem is that they just are out there being very proactive doing 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 and a lot of times they're doing stuff that the person in the center could do themselves. So it doesn't yeah. allow them to be responsible for one thing. And mm -hmm. the other is some of their doing sometimes doesn't allow the person in the center to feel the weight or consequences of their own behavior. So yeah. that strategy, and, and so like from a labeling standpoint, if you notice I've been talking about these roles largely without a label i've been talking <laughs> about them behaviorally you know yeah. but that role we all know what that role is labeled as that is the person who is enabling you know the and, enabler yeah yeah um caretaker enabler whatever um and and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of good information out there about enabling, but any, any, anyhow, the person in that role is central to the whole dynamic. And actually, the triangle um, of the person at five o'clock, seven o'clock, and in the middle, like if, if you draw a triangle there, that is um, the people, that is where the majority of action is. Um, and, and, and things change really, really quickly. And so I may think I'm in one role and um, I'm interacting with someone else, but they see me in, in a totally opposite role. 
And so the example is, for instance, the Boy Scout and the elderly woman at a stoplight, and then it, it turns green and the Boy Scout looks over at the elderly woman and, and, and puts his arm around her and his hand under her arm with, with, with the cane to help her across the street. And the elderly woman kind of looks over, she's startled and she's surprised and she gets the cane and she starts hitting him. (laughs) 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 Funny, real, real quick, funny story. Um, My great grandmother was just, she was an amazing woman, just the toughest lady that I have ever known right she she um she was like in her late 80s she was supposed to be walking with a cane she refused a cane because she wasn't going to deal with that she's too strong for that she's supposed to like have a very laid back relaxed life she refused to do that she would go out and do um it it was called duck bowling where you have a smaller bowling pole because she couldn't really hold the big ones but that wasn't going to stop her from being active, right? She yeah. would she would still go bowling. That was just the kind of person she was. And I remember she had a story, or I heard the story. She was walking uh, one of the days with one of my my great uncles, one of her sons, right? They were out walking and they're crossing the street, and she falls over, <laughs> right? And so and so my my great uncle. He's, he's trying to be the nice one and help her up, right? Because, because he's trying to be a genuinely nice guy, right? And a good right. son, right? Which is yeah. what most of us think that would be. And she refused to be helped up, yeah. right? She, wow. she would not let him help her up. And what was, what was even more funny, right, is she's still on the ground having a hard time getting up, right? But she won't let him help. And there are people looking around who are looking at him like he's a terrible person because he's not helping her up. Yeah. 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 So, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, your, your story, I think fits with the same little story I was telling. And, you know, one of the pieces that's underneath here in this um, triangle, which is called like the Cartman triangle or drama triangle, or, you know, the empowerment dynamic is kind of a way out of, of that triangle. But generally, you know, people in roles are imagining the thoughts and feelings of people in other roles. And they're assuming that, that what they're imagining is accurate and they're taking action based on their assumption. Yeah. And so that is a problem. And it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Like the Boy Scout didn't ask the elderly woman, wow, it looks like you could use some help. Can I help you? I would really like yeah. to help you. And then she would be able to say, no, I don't need the help. You know, um, but so the, you know, really checking the, like communication is really important here, but in, families with addiction things happen really really quickly and and emotions are running high oh my gosh emotions are running way high and nervous systems are activated and just that taking a breath and really checking in and asking like can i help you across the street or like when your eyes went down were you angry with me you know some kind of basic question to kind of break the spell of of this like really quick boom 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 kind of imagining someone else's role be because those those roles are like the um the big the big circle in the middle is kind of um from a labeling standpoint is the victim yeah the identified patient you know, that, that kind of thing. And then the role with the arrow there is the persecutor, the blamer. And, mm-hmm. and the um, role that's snuggled up there is like the um, caretaker or the savior. And yeah. so it's, it's like I can feel like I'm in the savior role, but I can be interpreted for, 
from someone else as if I'm in the persecutor role, like yeah, like the Boy Scout. Exactly, and and that's what happened with my my great grandmother. Is she she fell and she felt that her her son trying to help her up was saying that she was weak, right. but he was simply just trying to be a good son and help her get back right. up because she fell over. Yeah, right. And so the perception becomes reality, whether we like it or not. That is the end of part one of this series. Tomorrow will air the second part of this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please make sure to go onto your favorite podcast player of choice and there rate the podcast, then subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And then, if you truly want to be a leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted, because the best leaders fuel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your heroic potential faster, then you will want to join the League of Legendary Leaders an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. We also have a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including neurodiversity, character strengths, positive psychological research, homelessness, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you, and listen closely. It's time. Wake up your heroic potential. Let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be.